This is The Thomas Guide, your roadmap for navigating the world. With your guide, John Thomas, political savant, world-class analyst, and culture critic. No need to Google directions. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. This is The Thomas Guide with your host, John Thomas. Democrats rush towards an impeachment vote this week. Why? And al-Baghdadi who died like a dog in this episode of The Thomas Guide. I'm John Thomas, your host. On this episode of The Thomas Guide, I want to break down the big story, which is Democrats announced today that they are moving forward with a formal impeachment uh, investigation this week. They're going to have a vote to open to formalize the process. Because remember, right now, up, up until this point, it was simply an inquiry, which essentially means that there wasn't the subpoena power. They couldn't force people to testify. And the White House, if they didn't want to play ball, could just tell the Congress to go stuff it and said, hey, make this thing official. Force the Democrats to own it rather than tiptoeing around it and doing things in secret and everything. So the Democrats are now moving forward with the formal impeachment process. There's two reasons they're doing it. First, the timing of it on a Monday is not a coincidence. And Trish Regan hit it on the head on Fox Business in this clip tonight when she broke it down. Listen to this. It's just they can't help themselves. Um, it, it was like, you know, he actually did something that America should cheer, but they can't bring themselves, Tommy, no matter what, I guess, to cheer because to, to, to say that this is a good thing somehow then justifies Donald Trump being in the Oval Office, don't they run the risk? I mean, not like they have much credibility as it is, but even doing things like this, do they lose the little shred, the little ounce of credibility that they might still have? Now, Trish is bang on with this. She was talking about the mainstream media, not just Democrats, but she was basically saying, look, give the guy a victory lap. This is exactly what you did with Barack Obama. You said that, you know, it was brilliant. To, uh, he deserves so much credit. He got bin Laden. Uh, look, it's interesting because I remember thinking back when that happened. I remember talking to Republican friends of mine. And while we certainly know that the guy and the team that took the headshot of bin Laden was not uh, Barack Obama, we thought that Obama deserves some credit or given the order to take the kill shot and to move in. So we gave him credit. But more importantly, we shut up for a news cycle or two. We let him have his victory lap. He deserved it. That's the benefit of being the commander. When you're the commander in chief, you take the good with the bad. And in, this, in that case, it was a good thing. But the media and the Democrats could not even wait. Not even an hour. Until they pounced on President Trump about this. The first outrage that's backfired, but the first outrage was well, he informed the Russians before he informed, and he didn't inform Pelosi and Schiff and others. Well, then it turned out that, in fact, yes, he did inform the Russians. Why? Because the United States military 
needed the green light to use the airspace to to fly the eight Black Hawk uh, helicopter uh, Black Hawk helicopters, the gunships to go execute the mission. So of course they had to work with a, uh, with neighboring nations because of airspace. It wasn't as if Trump was in uh, cahoots with Putin. Let his best friend Putin know about what's going on before he let Pelosi and shift him. So that got debunked. And then the bigger question becomes: Should should Trump have sh- have told the gang of eight, which includes Pelosi and Schiff, of the the order and what what uh, what was going down and what just happened before he held the press conference? Technically, he should have, but I'm glad he did. And he didn't because of what happened today, which is he knew that the Pelosi's and the shifts of the world do not give a rat's ass about the nation, the fate of the nation, killing terrorists. All they care about is power, beating Donald Trump in 2020, and they do not want him to have a win. If they could have sabotaged the mission, I would not be surprised if they would have sabotaged the mission by leaking that it was going to be happening to give uh, the terrorists a heads up. But more importantly, they did, ex- they did today exactly what Trump knew they would do, but he bought himself a few hours of time to address the nation and drive the news cycle, which is Democrats are moving forward with the formal impeachment process. They chose it on a Monday, not because procedurally it was the right thing to do in their mind. They chose it on a Monday because they wanted to step on the president's bounce of the news cycle of delivering for this nation and killing a major terrorist and and making a major dent in the war on radical Islamic terrorism. They didn't want the president to enjoy that cycle. So they say later this week, we're moving forward with impeachment which now clutters up the news cycle. And that will be what we talk about on a Tuesday. This was all strategic. So no, President Trump did the, should not have told Pelosi and Schiff. It is a sad state of affairs that people, uh, these elected officials, particularly the Democrats, loathe this president so much that they're willing to do anything to leak and undermine this president. And by the way, Leaking Adam Schiff has shown throughout the Russian Russia investigation that he would somebody would testify in Congress and he'd walk out right the other outside the other the back door and leak directly to the media. It was an absolute joke. It's illegal. He broke the law when he leaked, but he did it off the record and and uh, reporters protected their source. So this guy is a liar and a leaker. Of course, President Trump shouldn't have played ball with it. He did the right thing. So that's why Democrats are moving forward with impeachment. It's a step on the president's bounce. But more, infor- more importantly than just the bounce, they're upping the ante because the White House has said, go screw yourself. We're not playing ball. You can't call us in, 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 in a, when the process isn't fair. We aren't bringing our, our people aren't allowed to bring our lawyers in. We don't know what the questions are ahead of time. They're not allowed to like cross uh, examine the witnesses. And it's not uh, it's not fair and transparent. So now what they're able to do is the Democrats have more power. They can demand that people come in and testify so that that's going to happen. But the bigger thing here is. 
the Democrats, Pelosi and Schiff in particular, are now trying to up the ante of the circus. Now that public opinion has kind of settled out in terms of the outrages died down against the president, Democrats say, oh my God, how do we keep it going? So this is how they keep it going. They now will move forward with impeachment. It'll create a whole nother series of controversies and faint outrage and sound bites for the media and so on and forth, so forth. They're trying to stretch this thing all the way out as long as they can. And in Pelosi's mind, without actually holding an impeachment vote, because she knows that'll backfire. I don't know. If they keep ratcheting up the intensity with their base on this issue, I don't think Pelosi can hold them off. But we'll see. Time will tell. Um, another interesting thing was, um, I love the New York Post's uh, headlines are always fun. But the real hero, first of all, I'm a dog lover. Let's just get that out of the way. If you can't tell from my executive producer, the director of Floof, uh, Peaches, I love dogs. And so the best part of this catching the terrorist story to me, besides the fact that I got intel and all these other things, is that <laughs> Trump, you can see he was obsessed with the dog. Apparently the name's classified, but it's leaked that the, guy, the dog's name is Conan. Apparently Conan the Malinois. Uh, well, well, let me just break this down how it supposedly happened according to Trump. And I've heard from other sources that this is in fact how it happened. So eight different helicopters came in, gunships and whatever. There was uh, air support even above them and drones above them. They had been canvassing uh, this bunker facility where they had terrorists was hanging out. They went in knowing that there were tunnels. So they had guys, I guess at different ends, uh, they had, military at different ends of the tunnel to catch the terrorist so he could get away. But these are long tunnels. These are long internal tunnels. So the team, the Americans went in, they found the terrorist, the terrorist then dragged three children who happened to be his kids with tr trying to use them as bullet shields, hostages, pieces, scum dragging them down one of these secret tunnels. And instead of letting him get all the way down and then encountering our military at the other side to have a, a, a fight or, who you know, get pulled up in the middle, the American military sent, they brought a dog. <laughs> they brought Conan, the Malinois with them. And they, 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 they put their dog on this piece of crap. The dog was going after was going to catch the terrorist. The terrorist knew it. And at that point, he clacked off his explosive suicide vest because he knew he was had. And of course, being bitten and pulled down by a dog is not a, not a way you want to go. So he killed, obviously, his three children as well as himself. And the dog was injured in the blast. But I guess Conan is apparently okay. There's pictures of him all over the internet. You can Google it. But uh, I love the fact that this happened. I love that they used a dog. I love, you can see Trump was, that was in his brain when they was holding a press conference because my favorite quote of the press conference was, he died like a dog, a whining, sniveling coward. You know, the press attacked Trump for laying it on thick, but I actually thought that was great. Whether or not he was whining or sniveling is almost irrelevant. I like 
that Trump was writing this guy's obituary and history. He was writing history that this guy was a piece of crap. He was willing to kill his own children. And he was a coward. That there was no glory dying for the cause. That he was an absolute coward. Died like a dog. And quite frankly, he died because of a dog. But what a wonderful thing. I've even heard, now I'm trying to get this confirmed, but I've even heard that the dog was wearing a body and that Trump was able to watch the footage of the dog chasing both all of the military officers were in camera. So he was able to watch that, but that Trump was able to watch the dog's point uh, POV as he was chasing down his shit. Pretty cool. Now, Joe Biden of course, jumped on the bandwagon. And this is what the media has been running with as well. I'm going to read the quote. Biden said, quote, I'm glad President Trump ordered the mission. But as more details of the raid emerge, it's clear that this victory was not due to Donald Trump's leadership. It happened despite his ineptitude as commander in chief. Are you kidding me? Biden can't let him have a victory lap and says it was due to his ineptitude. It was his so-called ineptitude that gave the order to conduct the mission. It was his ineptitude that had been prodding the military for the last three years to go find this a-hole. I mean, it's just a joke. And the, the bigger joke of this whole thing is Joe Biden's former defense secretary that was the defense secretary under Obama when Biden was VP talked has explicitly gone on the record is defense secretary. And said Biden was wrong on nearly every major foreign policy decision they made. You want to talk about an F? Biden still says, well, he's why now he's flip flop, but he, now he's flopped back to his original position, which is we shouldn't be worried about China. China's not a threat. What are we worried about China? They're not a threat. This is while Hunter, his son, sits on major boards in China. But Biden is an absolute idiot. Might be a nice guy. But he's a total idiot. And shame on him for attacking the president on this issue. Let the guy have the win. At least for a couple days. And then go on on it. It's just amazing that the point in time we're at in our politics. All right. Kamala Harris. Her campaign, as you know, is just an absolute shambles. She's in low single digits in most polling. She's, quote, moved into Iowa. But she may have moved into Iowa, but her polling numbers have moved out because she is just lower and lower and lower, even in Iowa, where she's spending all her time. Now, uh, it's amazing how Democrats like to blame everybody but themselves for their failures. They like to be the victim in this process. So Kamala Harris was doing an interview uh, and she's come up with the explanation for essentially the obituary about her campaign about why she's having such a hard time. Let's listen. I have also started to um, perhaps be more candid talking about what I describe and what I believe to be the elephant in the room about my campaign. What is that? Electability. What do you mean? Electability. You know, essentially, is America ready for a woman and a woman of color to be president of the United States. America was ready for a black man to be president of the United States. And this conversation happened for him. There is a lack of ability or a difficult, a difficulty in imagining 
that someone who we have never seen can do a job that has been done, you know, 45 times by someone who is not that person. I'll give you a story. I want to just give you a quick story to make this point. I was here in Iowa campaigning for Barack Obama. Yeah, I was here. Right. Covered okay, that. so you remember. <laughs> it was the night before the caucuses, and I was like, tell me what else needs to be done. And they said, Kamala, can you, there's this senior um, African-American home, residential home, nobody's gone to yet. Can you go there? And I said, of course. The lady who answers, there's a chain on the door that she keeps on. She wasn't expecting anybody. So I'm all exuberant. I'm Kamala Harris. I'm here for the caucuses tomorrow. Barack Obama is on the ballot. Will you come to the caucuses? And she looks at me without any expression. And she says, they're not going to let him win. And I looked at her. And all that in her 85 plus years, all that she has experienced and witnessed in terms of injustice, indignity. She wasn't about, at this stage of her life, to expose herself to yet another disappointment. And so I say all of this to say to you, I'm aware of the challenges, but I know who the people are. And I know that we have an ability to see what can be. Huh? I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what she's trying to say. Uh, She's saying she's not, she would be the nominee right now if she weren't a black woman. Oh, so let me just get this straight. That number one, it has nothing to do with the fact that you flip-flopped on every major position, that your campaign team has no idea what they're doing to run a national-style race out of California, uh, that you deliver you had one moment in the first debate but you've sucked ever since that Tulsi Gabbard destroyed you and you had no rebuttal in one of the debates um had nothing to do with that at all it's your gender and it's your race oh yeah that's it which by the way coincidentally happen to be two things that are not her fault where everything else might be her fault but not her gender and her race nothing she could do about that at the same time that I, I guess Americans were tricked into voting for Barack Obama. I, I think they had no idea he was black. They were tricked twice in 2008. God, 2012. It's amazing. Actually, the dirty secret is it's an attribute, not a deficit to be a non-white candidate running in America these days. Because especially if you're running in a democratic primary that I've talked about before that how focus groups and, and, and studies have shown that absent names, the democratic primary electorate was looking for a woman of color to represent them as their nominee. Now they don't just want somebody who's simply a woman of color when they have other buffet of people to choose from that might actually be able to run a real campaign like Elizabeth Warren that might actually be right and consistent on the issues as they see it in a democratic primary. But Kamala had it all. She blew it on so many circumstances. So it's hilarious to think that, and then for her to tell the story, Oh, I canvassed back in 2008 and there was one person that I knocked on the door that didn't want to be disappointed by backing a losing candidate. <laughs> 
what? Do you understand that when you, just to be clear, when you're canvassing, it's in a contentious election. It's probably, it's like, it's, it's one of 10 people that maybe tell you, yes, I'm going to vote for your candidate. That's such a silly story to even tell. But Kamala is the victim. You can see that if she's willing to talk about it like that publicly, you know that internally their campaign is just absolute shambles. At this point. So I did want to bring that up. One other quick thing I'm watching locally here in Los Angeles County is a fun battle that's brewing today. The uh, George Gascon, who is the appointed district attorney of San Francisco. He's since resigned to come pop over carpet bag over, over to Los Angeles, but he was appointed after Kamala Harris was uh, interestingly enough, the district attorney of San Francisco. Then she won attorney general's race and attorney general Senate. But when she became the attorney general, Gavin Newsom, who was the mayor of San Francisco at the time appointed Gascon to be the district attorney. Now Gascon is a full-blown liberal. Uh, he was, he wasn't always that way. He was a beat cop here in LAPD a long time ago, but he's evolved to be more liberal. And he was in Arizona um, for a few years and he got in some public spats with Sheriff Joe over immigration because he's on, he's liberal on that issue. That's how Newsom was like, oh, you're so liberal like me. Why don't you come over and uh, be soft on crime in, in San Francisco. They'll love you. So that's what he did. But remember, this is the joke about Kamala Harris's experience. You realize this, the city of San Francisco is actually quite small. It can fit like Long Beach, for instance, in Long Beach, California is way larger than San Francisco. I mean, it's, it's just not a big area. So it's not, it's not a big DA's office to be honest. With you. Uh, but anyway, Gascon saw an opportunity to run against another Democrat, Jackie Lacey, who's the sitting district attorney in LA County. He's now carpet bagged over. And so some people are saying, well, you can't beat a sitting district attorney. Well, first of all, you can. Um, I've seen it done. Hell, I just did it in Orange County, California. I beat uh, Tony Rakakis with a candidate of mine, a county supervisor, Todd Spitzer. Uh, we defeated a 20-year incumbent district attorney who said, everybody said it was unbeatable. So it, it definitely can be done. That was a heavy lift, but we ran a smart campaign because yours truly was running it. Um, so can George Cascone beat another Democrat, Jackie Lacey, in a county as large as L.A. County? The answer is yes, absolutely, for a few reasons. One, he already understands the basic direction that his campaign needs to take, which is he needs to move to the left of Lacey. Lacey's a Democrat, make no mistake about it, but she keeps her head down. She doesn't hold press conferences because quite frankly, she's not a really smart politician. She got elected. Well, I don't want to go into that, but she shouldn't have gotten elected in the first place. She got elected because she was a, uh, a Democrat. Um, and she queued up Democrats in a presidential cycle in 2012 when Barack Obama was reelected, getting reelected. And registration countywide is so liberal that that, that worked. Now, Gascon is going to flank her to her left. So he's come out with an introductory ad and messaging of just going, I mean, hitting every note 
from amnesty for illegals to uh, cops are bad and take advantage of minority communities to, I mean, you just to, uh, we need to shut down private prisons and I mean, just on and on and on. I mean, it's nauseous stuff. So anti-law enforcement, so anti-public safety, but he knows that that sells in LA County. So he's going to out push. In fact, even his logo says George Gascon. And instead of Los Angeles district attorney says Democrat. Los Angeles district attorney, because he's running as a partisan first, even though the race is nonpartisan. So Gascon's challenge is to raise enough resources to be able to educate the electorate that he's the real woke Democrat in the race. And Lacey has not shown herself to be a good fundraiser. She's uh, not been liked by a lot of folks because she's thought to do a, a, a bad job. But her biggest challenge is people just don't, the people that know her don't like her. But by and large, the electorate just simply doesn't know, know her. We, we just saw an incumbent sheriff in the last cycle, uh, McDonald, who was actually quite popular of those who knew him, get flanked to the left by Alex Villanueva, a no-name deputy that, quite frankly, didn't even really run a campaign other than the fact that he had a Latino name on the ballot, which was a partisan cue, and the Demo- and Democrats in the midterms, uh, Democrat voters just, they got the cue. In this case with Gascon, he's not even cueing. He's being explicit about how liberal he is. So all Gascon has to do is put together a base amount of money and introduce himself as a real Democrat in the race and then attack Lacey on some of these public failures that she's had to weaken her. And it's lights out. Unless Lacey woke up, raised a seven-figure war chest, which she's never done. Um, Lacey may have police unions come to her defense, not because they like Lacey, but because they're scared crapless of the San Francisco district attorney. Uh, but, uh, even with that, I still think given the savvy of which Gascon launched his campaign today, I think Gascon probably prevails and incumbent DA gets bounced LA County, which is the largest prosecutorial office in the nation will be ultra liberal. It's going to cause people like me that live in L.A. County to be even less safe, to empower illegals even more, to hurt law enforcement even more. It's going to be an unmitigated disaster. But that's the political race to watch. And if there were a stronger incumbent district attorney, I could say you could hold on. But she's such a bad incumbent. She's so weak as in she has so many problems yet low awareness about the problems, but she's just, she, she doesn't have what it takes. So that's my thoughts on that. I also want to thank um, Rick Mark on Twitter. He wrote, thanking me for my pragmatic views and help, helpful way to understand the world of politics. You are so welcome, Rick. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And, and uh, it, the reviews on Twitter or on my Facebook or if you want to leave them on iTunes, they really do help not just stroking my ego, though I appreciate it, but it helps grow the podcast because that's what this is all about is spreading the word and inviting more people that might like this kind of show and analysis to find out that we exist. So thanks for doing that. Of course, you can tweet me at the Thomas Guide. Uh, go to the teaguide.com for the latest updates. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you tomorrow on another episode of the Thomas Guide.